researchers took some African-American volunteers and they took some volunteers living in rural Africa and they did a diet swap after two weeks of eating okra and tomatoes with maize meal and lentils and bananas and African potato salad. The Americans' colorectal cancer risk profile plummeted. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. Following the death recently of actor Chadwick Boseman, the world is again being reminded of the unforgiving nature of colorectal cancer. The disease claimed the actor's life at the tender age of 43. And so in his honor today, we will be exploring colorectal cancer with two experts on the subject, gastroenterologist Dr. Alan Desmond and our own Dr. Neil Barnard. Now, we know that foods like hot dogs and sausage and bacon, processed meats, we know that they can cause cancer. There is irrefutable evidence to that. These are facts that are very much well known, especially over the last decade or so. But what is not talked about nearly as much is the role that gut microbiome and gut bacteria, the role that they can play. So what is their connection then to colon cancer? Dr. Desmond will be sharing that answer with us on the program. And we're also going to be talking about the study he mentioned at the top of the show. He was talking about the diet swap. Now, you heard what happened with the Americans who adopted the rural African diet how their cancer profiles plummeted, their risk essentially of cancer plummeted. But what about the Africans who then adopted the standard American diet, that westernized diet, so high in fat and processed foods? Was the inverse then true? We're going to get those answers as well. Plus, Dr. Barnard is going to be talking about how scientific advances in recent years have enabled us to really go in and quantify the risk of cancer that is caused by the dietary choices that we make. Really put some numbers behind that as we try to, once and for all, answer the question, are vegans and vegetarians less likely to get cancer. Dr. Barnard, I want to start with you here because the Physicians Committee has been around for 35 years. And I'm curious, when did the notion that the food people were eating, the food that we eat, really is connected to our odds of developing colon cancer? Well, you know, foods affect our health in so many ways. They raise cholesterol, so that affects the heart. They change our hormones, so that can affect hormone-related cancers. But you, foods beachhead is the digestive tract. 
So in many ways, it's the most obvious uh, disease that one would expect to relate to food. And there have been data for a long, 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 long time showing that people whose diets were predominantly plant-based, people in rural countries where they may not have had means of having a meaty diet, had much lower levels of colorectal cancer compared to more affluent countries eating meat. So the data have been around for a long time. What's new is the specificity. We now can quantify that your risk. We have numbers that can, can really show uh, the risk that people are running by, including these things in their diet. But Dr. Barnard, sticking with you here, uh, red and processed meats play a major role, obviously, in the formation of cancer as well. I'm curious, though, how does eating just one hot dog a day, something like a hot dog, eating just one of them a day, how does that increase our risk of developing colon cancer? Hot dogs are in the group we call processed meats. It's hot dogs, bacon, sausage, ham, the little pepperoni slices on your pizza. And the World Health Organization came out about five years ago and said that one serving of those per day will increase your risk of colorectal cancer about 18%. So let's say instead of one serving, you have two. It's lunch, you have two hot dogs. Well, 18 times two is 36. And what if that evening you have pizza with pepperoni on it? Okay, at another 18%, you, you can see where we're going. The cancer risk is going way up. And, and Chuck, if you don't mind my mentioning, at, at the beginning of the show, you talked about the recent loss that the world has had of a, a beloved um, a screen star um, whose life was cut short. And we've talked a lot about systemic racism in this country. And I want to touch on one other aspect of it. Uh, black men have the highest rate uh, of mortality of colorectal cancer of any group in the United States. Black women have a higher rate than white women. Black men have a much higher rate than, than white men. And al although overall, we're seeing colorectal cancer rates descending bit by bit by bit, in young people, and when I say young, I mean anybody under the age of 49, they're actually rising. So who's gonna be at risk? It's the people who have these foods marketed to them. So who is pushing, mm -hmm. uh, bacon, who's pushing sausage. It's the fast food chains. Um, it's advertising. You turn on the TV every five minutes. They, yank, they aim at a young uh, audience to try to convince them you're immortal. This couldn't possibly hurt you. And I want to say it's taking a, a toll in all Americans and, and frankly, people worldwide, but it's taking a particularly, particular toll in the black population that's got to stop. We tend, not to, we tend to think of race, uh, food racism in relation to lactose intolerance. Milk uh, increases the risk of prostate cancer, which is killing black men at a much higher rate than others. But I think colorectal cancer should be added to that category. And I think the people marketing these, these foods should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, one last point, Chuck, before I hand it back to you. And that's, we've talked about red meat and processed meat. But any meat that's heated on the grill uh, or heated in your stove has heterocyclic amines, these are carcinogens, forming in the meat. And the biggest source is actually not bacon, and it's not sausage, and it's not a steak. The biggest source of heterocyclic amines, at least in the U.S. diet, is chicken, uh, largely because people eat so many chickens. But really, a cancer prevention diet means getting the animal products off the plate and the high-fiber, healthy plant foods back on the plate. So back to you, Chuck. 
All right, Dr. Barnard, stick around. I want to ask you to uh, answer some questions when we open up the doctor's mailbag in just a little bit. But Dr. Desmond, I want to turn to you now and follow up on what it was Dr. Barnard was just talking about, specifically about the mass marketing of these foods that are, you know, so heavily processed and so affordable. Um, Specific, let's let's just stay with hot dogs and and bacon here, okay? Give you some Mm. statistics. Uh, The National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, uh, here in the States estimates that 20 billion hot dogs are eaten every year here in the U.S. And on top of that, the average person consumes 18 pounds of bacon. Now, that can be turkey bacon, which is supposedly healthier, or it could be a chicken hot dog, which is also supposedly healthier. But you hear about that massive amount of processed meat that we're consuming. And my question to you is, can you give us some more specifics about how common colon cancer actually is right now? It's sadly, it's really common. And, you know, Chuck, we we talked to each other at the start of August and we agreed we would do this session on a really important issue, colorectal cancer. Within a few weeks, it's in the international headlines through through the sad loss of Chadwick Boseman. And, you know, it's it's a good opportunity to discuss what we can all do to reduce our risk of this common and serious cancer. So I'm Irish. I live and work in the United Kingdom over in England. And here in the UK, we see 42,000 cases of colon cancer each year. It's our fourth leading cause of cancer, de- our fourth leading cancer and our second leading cause of dying due to cancer, um, both in the UK and the US. This cancer affects about one in 15 men and one in 18 women in their lifetime. So sadly, a very common cancer. Where you are in the US, there's about 150,000 people diagnosed with this cancer every year. And globally, it affects about one and a half million people. One of the issues with this cancer, Chuck, is that the symptoms that you get when it's early can be passed off as, you know, just a minor tummy upset. But I would urge anybody who experiences symptoms such as abdominal discomfort, change in their bowel habit, the passage of blood or mucus in, in um, in the toilet, or development of iron deficiency anemia to discuss with your doctor and see if it's sensible to get checked in case they have colon cancer. Because those symptoms often occur when the condition is relatively advanced, and because this condition is so common, and as Dr. Bernard uh, pointed out, becoming more common in industrialized countries and becoming more common in younger people aged under 50, it's also really important to know about screening. So here in the UK, Um, From the age of 55, every adult is offered the opportunity to take part in a bowel cancer screening program. In the US, that starts at age 45 by regular colonoscopy. So whatever your age, whatever your diet, whatever your family history, it's really important at that age to speak to your healthcare provider about taking part in a screening um, program. Because if we can do a colonoscopy on you now, we can find the precancerous polyps, these little fleshy growths that we can remove from your colon before they have the chance to turn into a cancer. And that can significantly reduce your risk. So I'm a screening colonoscopist myself doing colonoscopies on individuals taking part in a screening program is a major part of my job. Sadly, that means that as well as preventing cancers, several times a week, I may have to sit down with a patient just after their colonoscopy. 
and explain to them that unfortunately I've identified something in their bowel which looks like a cancer. And that's always a difficult conversation. It's a life-changing conversation. Even if we have found the cancer early, it can still change that person's life. But early detection is so important. Um, if it's found early, 90% of people will find a cure to the condition. We can cure early colon cancer. If it's found very late, if it's very advanced, I'm afraid you know uh, only about 15 to 20% of people will achieve a cure from that cancer. So early detection and prevention are so important. And as well as um, taking part in a screening program, there are so many things that we can do individually to introduce our, or excuse me, to reduce our individual risks substantially. And, you know, it's a great time to talk about those aspects as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk about those in just a second. But I, I'm curious, though, when you have these difficult conversations with the patients, how aware are they that their diet may have played a significant role in the fact that something is amiss down there? Not very, to be quite honest. I think that what we're doing right now is so important. This is education. I spend a lot of my time in education, um, both you know through talks like this, um, through conferences. It's just about putting the word out there. Information is power, Chuck. And many people are very aware of the cancer screening programs, which are super important. But sadly, not many people are aware of the um, effect that their diet and lifestyle has on their personal risk. Um, people know that cigarettes cause cancer, um, they don't, they're not aware that they also contribute to colon cancer significantly. And I guess people in general aren't truly aware of how much power they have um, in their diet and lifestyle to help reduce their personal risk. Well, let's talk about some of the steps that people can take then. What are some of the top tips that you give these patients to say, hey, these are the things that you should be doing right now to reduce your risk? Well, I'm going to give you some tips that, you know, most of the patients who come through and have a colonoscopy at my unit gladly do not have cancer, um, which, is, which is a great result for them. We may remove some precancerous polyps or everything may be all clear. But regardless, all of those patients will be given some top tips and a nice glossy information leaflet and a website address so that they can look at reducing their risk for the future. And these things are, are straightforward. Number one, eat your beans and greens. So beans and greens, a great source of vitamin B6 and vitamin B9. These vitamins help our colon, help our body to repair the DNA damage that makes cells go awry and turn into cancer cells. Um, having a diet that's high in these particular B vitamins, B6 and B9, is significantly shown to reduce your risk of colorectal cancer. In fact, a few years ago in the US, there was this um, trial called the um, polyp uh, prevention trial by the US National Cancer Institute. And what they found is that, you know, they took patients who had come in for colonoscopy and had precancerous polyps removed. So they were invited to come back a few years later to have another colonoscopy to see if there's any more precancerous polyps that needed to be removed. And the participants in that study who increased their intake of beans to 70 grams a day, which is just like a, a quarter can of beans, at follow-up, they had reduced their risk of developing further precancerous polyps by 65%. So that's just for the price of a can of beans. That's a big benefit. So number one, eat your beans and greens. Number two, 
eat plenty of fiber, more than 30 grams a day. We've talked about this before, your your live sessions, the exam room podcast, this is a, a constant theme. We need to eat more fiber. In the US and the UK, we get like 15 or 18 grams of fiber per day. On a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet, you may be getting 60 grams of fiber. All I, I just want people to eat more than 30 grams at least. We know that eating more fiber, particularly whole grain fiber, substantially reduces your risk. For every 10 grams of whole grain fiber you consume per day, you will reduce your risk of colon cancer by 10%. Why is that? Well, there's plenty of reasons. We're not entirely sure. Um, fiber equals veggies equals antioxidants, which is helpful. It may be that simply reducing the transit, excuse me, uh, getting things moving through more quickly is beneficial. And there's some microbiome benefits that we can talk about later, but whatever you do, eat more fiber. Tip number three, Dr. Bernard already spoke very eloquently about this, is to avoid in particular the red and processed meat, the pork, the lamb, the venison, the bacon, the sausages, the meat pies, the cured hams, the pastrami. These have been so strongly linked to causing colorectal cancer that in 2015, the World Health Organization listed those foods as group one carcinogens. Just like cigarette smoke and asbestos, these foods cause cancer in humans. So just 350 grams of processed meat per week, or as Dr. Bernard said, just one hot dog a day will increase your risk of colon cancer by 18% because they are just chock full of carcinogenic compounds, including heme iron, the HCAs, and PC, uh, polycyclic aromatic polycarbons, nitrates, and nitrites have all been implicated. So say goodbye to those red and processed meats. Get rid of them. The other thing to do, maintaining a healthy body weight helps to reduce a risk. The extra weight that we carry isn't just sitting there. It's biologically active. It promotes a state of chronic inflammation. It also promotes the production of insulin-like growth factor one, which makes cells in your body divide more. And the more dividing cells, the higher risk of various cancers. As we know, sadly, being obese or overweight is linked to increasing one's risk of 13 different cancers. And in fact, colorectal cancer is just one of them. Here in the UK, Chuck, Cancer Research UK estimate that 55% of all the colon cancers in the UK are caused either by eating red and processed meat, not having enough fiber in your diet, or simply being obese. So that's a pretty powerful statistic. Not smoking is tip number five. Everybody knows that smoking causes cancer. Tip number six, keep your alcohol consumption to a minimum. Um, unfortunately, okay, for those people who like a little glass of red wine in the evening, even moderate alcohol consumption can increase your risk of colorectal cancer. So please keep your alcohol consumption below the national recommended limit for your country. We talked, uh, what does this add up to? This adds up to a healthy cancer preventing diet and lifestyle. And I was interested just earlier this year to see the American Cancer Society's guidelines on a healthy diet and the American Cancer Guidelines. And they, you know, colorectal cancer was certainly in the mix when they designed those um, guidelines. They recommended that a healthy eating pattern, a healthy eating pattern to prevent cancer includes, and I quote, I have the quote on the screen here, so I'm going to read it. A healthy eating pattern includes foods that are high in nutrients in amounts that help you to stay and to get to and stay at a healthy body weight. 
a variety of vegetables, dark greens, red and orange, fiber-rich legumes, beans and peas and others, fruits, especially whole fruits in a variety of colors and whole grains. Once again, Chuck, a healthy whole food plant-based diet ticks all the right boxes. All right. Yeah. So let me back you into a corner now just to kind of, you know, answer this question once and for all. Do vegetarians, do vegans have a lower risk than others who eat the omnivorous diet? Are they at a lower risk of developing colorectal cancer? And if so, what did the numbers show? Those who eat a healthy whole food based um diet, plant-based diet? The answer is yes. And we know this from the Adventist Health Study. So Adventist Health Study, you've talked about the Adventists before, um, a genetically heterogeneous group of people who follow a fairly similar lifestyle to each other. They place a great value on community and exercise and eating a plant-based diet. Even the Adventists who do consume meat consume far less meat than the U.S. average, just an average of about 50 grams of meat per day, which I think is less than half of the U.S. average. And the Seventh-day Adventist study followed almost 80,000 Adventists for seven and a half years, and they found that the Adventists had 30% fewer cases of colon cancer than the U.S. average. And amongst the Adventists, we know that about one in eight Adventists maintain a completely plant-based diet. So they don't even have that extra 54 grams of meat per day. And compared to their meat-eating Adventist um, friends, the completely plant-based Adventists had an even lower risk. Their risk was 36% lower than the U.S. average. So if we could wave a magic wand, Chuck, and if we could get everybody in the United States to eat like a healthy, completely plant-based Seventh-day Adventist, we could prevent more than 50,000 cases of colorectal cancer per year in the U.S. Uh, my friend, that is what is called statistically significant. Dr. Desmond, the last time you were on the show, we spent a great deal of time talking about gut bacteria and gut microbiome. And mm. it's a perfect time to ask you, what role do they play? in the development and the risk of cancer here. Yeah, so two interesting studies that I would talk about here because it turns out, Chuck, that our gut microbiome, these trillions of microbes that reside in our lower bowel have a major role to play in how food influences our risk of colorectal cancer. In fact, a plant-based diet may even help us to avoid a potentially carcinogenic microbiome. Now, just last year, the world's leading medical journal, Nature, published two deep dives into the microbiome and colorectal cancer. And their results were really impressive. They combined data from multiple studies um, examining the complex interactions between our gut bugs and our health. And what they did is they compared a huge number of patients who were diagnosed with colorectal cancer and then individuals who were not diagnosed with colorectal cancer and did a microbiome analysis and looked at the difference between patients who get colorectal cancer and people who don't. And they found some definite microbiome signatures associated with colon cancer. Now, the microbiomes of the colon cancer patients were substantially enriched with the bacteria that thrive on meat and fat. And that was consistent uh, across multiple populations in multiple different countries with multiple different food cultures. So why is that? Why is it that bacteria 
that love digesting meat and fat would be found in individuals who sadly went on to develop colorectal uh, cancer. Well, there's a number of reasons. Of course, it may just be a marker of their dietary intakes in general. But what's really interesting is these particular bacteria that thrive on meat and fat also um, uh, demonstrate someone who's on a higher fat diet who uh, has a microbiome that has an increased capacity to metabolize the bile that your body produces to digest fat into secondary bile acids. So when you eat meat and fat, your body produces bile. Bacteria in your gut microbiome metabolize that bile to produce secondary bile acids. And secondary bile acids are directly carcinogenic on your large bowel. So they, they um, exert a pro-carcinogenic effect. And in fact, in fact um, scientists have suggested that bile might be a carcinogen since the 1930s. And in 2019, we know why. So when that paper was published, um, they noted that the gut microbiome of individuals who unfortunately had gone on to develop colorectal cancer had a higher capacity to produce secondary bile acids, which are known carcinogens, and also those gut microbiomes had a higher capacity to convert choline from eggs and carnitine from meat into trimethylamine, uh, you know, which gets metabolized, TMAO, a substance that produces inflammation. And unsurprisingly, the bacteria that digest fruits, vegetables, and whole grains were markedly lower in cancer cases. So we were looking at this potentially carcinogenic microbiome could well be described as the standard Western diet microbiome. And the authors of those two papers were so struck by these differences, which were consistent across populations, that they proposed that perhaps we should be doing advanced microbiome analysis as a test for bowel cancer risk. And it makes sense, right? If you've got a lot of these meat-loving and egg-loving, secondary bile acid-producing bacteria, maybe you're at risk and you should go on and have a colonoscopy, and maybe that's true. But of course, we know that we can reduce and even eradicate those harmful, potentially harmful bacteria within weeks of changing to a whole food plant-based diet. You know what really strikes me is just how more common colon cancer is becoming among younger adults. It's another one of those chronic diseases that we think, well, my parents can get it or my grandparents can get it, but I'm not that old. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And yet, here it is finding its way into the bodies of younger and younger adults. Part of me wonders whether this is a product of our culture. There is no denying, as we've discussed on the show previously, that we live in a fast food nation where massive quantities of food are celebrated. It's one thing to eat a whole pizza or a combo meal that is king size or go large or whatever the largest size is that they have available. But if you turn on the TV every July 4th, you will see people trying to eat as many hot dogs as they possibly can within the span of 10 minutes. We're talking 70, almost 80 hot dogs in just a few minutes. 
But on any given day, if you pick up your phone and you hop on social media and you start scrolling through, you may come across a picture of somebody who really wants to push food to the extreme and say, we'll have gone to McDonald's. And this is actually celebrated. This is actually celebrated. The person goes to McDonald's and they order a Big Mac, a Quarter Pounder, a filet of fish a Happy Meal, and a huge, 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 the biggest size fry that they have possible. And they sandwich all of that in between two buns to create this 5,000 calorie monstrosity of a sandwich. It's like the Frankenstein of fast food. And this is celebrated. Like, can he possibly eat all of this food in one sitting? Can he do it? And people cheer this on. Oblivious. Or just completely ignoring the potential health ramifications that come with this. The old me would have absolutely been in that category. Heck, I might have been the one trying to polish all of that off. In some ways, I did. Every day. But people will hit that like button underneath of the picture thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and it puts all of this up on this major pedestal, despite the health ramifications. I'll take it a step further. Watching the NFL season kick off this weekend, all of the commercials were for pizza joints, fast food places, burgers, beer, liquor, but not a single commercial was for anything remotely healthy to eat. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to flip on a game, see the Dallas Cowboys, say, playing, and then cut to commercial, and what's it for? Carrots and quinoa. How great would that be? You know, last week I wanted to start a a fantasy football league for vegans. I put that out on social media. I was all excited. We got a brand new season starting. I wanted to play some fantasy. And I'm telling you, plant-based NFL fans must be as rare as unicorns. Because basically what I got back was crickets. So what does all of that mean? it means that we have more work to do. And we have more work to do still on today's show as well. But before we get to that, make no mistake about it. I do believe in my heart of hearts that we are making progress. That is why we do this show. Now, on the exam room live, both Dr. Barnard and Dr. Desmond stuck around to answer viewer questions about diet and colon cancer. And with so much science out there, it's natural that anyone would have a question or two, or in this case, many, many more. You were talking about screening a lot earlier, Dr. Desmond. This question comes to us from Erin on Facebook. She's wondering, is screening necessary for those who follow a whole food plant-based diet? Yes, 
Yes. So as I said earlier, when we look at the Adventist data, we see a 30 to 36% reduction in risk. But that's not no risk, Chuck. And I would urge anyone who's invited to take part in a screening program to take part. You've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose by taking part. Uh, Dr. Barnard, if you're still with us, I'm going to post this next question to you. This one comes to us from Helene on YouTube. She wants to know, what is it about processed meat that makes it worse than, quote, normal meat? Does it have anything to do with the meat itself or are processed plant foods just as bad? Okay, great question. Uh, No, processed plant foods are not just as bad at all. When we talk about processed plant foods, what you're talking about is taking, say, a grain of wheat and grinding it up to make flour. That's not really such a big deal. That might liberate the um, sugars a little bit. But when we talk about processed meat, what you're doing is, first of all, you're taking meat, which is a problem just to start with. Even before any processing has happened, when meat is cooked, carcinogens form in the cooked meat without any processing. When it's processed, certain things happen. Nitrites and nitrates can be added, uh, and there are other things that can be added as well. Uh, Sometimes they may be smoked or certain preservatives may be added. But the, the truth is that even though we have lots of reasons to understand why processed meats might cause cancer, Is it the heme iron, the saturated fat, the nitrates, uh, the heterocyclic amines, the benzoapyrene? Nobody knows which of these is the most important. And that's why researchers say just avoid them altogether. But the processed meats are terrible. The processed plant foods, it's a completely different different situation. And plant foods are always going to be a better choice. Interesting question, Dr. Desmond, from Edith on Facebook. She wants to know, why do conditions like IBS and Crohn's also raise your chance for developing cancer? So anything that um, encourages the cells in your body to constantly regenerate puts you at risk of developing a cancer. So I spoke earlier about how individuals living with obesity have a higher level of IGF-1 in their body. Individuals who consume animal products have a higher level of IGF-1 in their body. And that's a hormone that increases the turnover of cells and makes cells regenerate. So it increases your risks of various cancers. Similarly, in ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, if the condition is not controlled, the inflammation means that the lining cells of your gut are constantly having to regenerate generate, which makes it more likely that you will have, uh, you know, an aberrant cell develop, which is the original problem that leads to development of a cancer. All right. And Dr. Barnard, uh, this is a one that we get quite often. I want to pose this one to you. It comes to us from Loretta on Facebook. She writes that she recently took an antibiotic. Hearing our conversation now, she's uh, concerned. She wants to know, how can I quickly rebuild good gut bacteria? Well, uh, I'd be interested in, in what Dr. Desmond has to say about this, but I, I, I'll tell you the, what I have found from my own work is that people used to say that after you took an antibiotic, you should take probiotics. Uh, these are bacterial strains that you can get in a capsule or they're added to yogurt, whether it's a vegan yogurt or a dairy yogurt, and that people would load up on them. However, it doesn't seem that that actually reconstitutes the bacteria in a better way than just leaving it alone and letting nature take, take its course without the probiotic. Um, so in other words, as, as time goes on, your gut will repopulate uh, itself, its own bacteria. Dr. Desmond, do you want to weigh in on this, rebuilding uh, good gut bacteria quickly after antibiotics? 
Yeah, I'll give you five quick tips, hopefully five, maybe four. Number one, eat a whole food plant-based diet and maximize your diversity of plants. That's the key. Number two, spend time outdoors and in natural environments. Where do these bacteria come from? We don't grow them. We, you know, we get them from our environment. So spend time in natural environments. Sleep can help. Our gut microbes run on the same 24-hour cycle as we do. Some researchers think they actually help to set our circadian rhythm. So there's some evidence of getting enough sleep. Um, exercising certainly helps. You've seen multiple studies showing that uh, athletes have a higher um, rates of healthy bacteria, healthy fiber-loving gut bacteria, and avoiding unnecessary medications. If you need antibiotics, if your doctor recommends them for a significant infection, please take them. They will help you. They do have some side effects on your gut microbiome, but they are necessary. If your doctor tells you that you're taking a pill or a potion that you don't really need to take, or if you have a self-limiting infection and an antibiotic is not truly necessary, then just don't take it. And I understand that you also have another study on microbiome that you wanted to discuss, one that you pulled up and said, hey, man, we, we got to get this mentioned on the show today. You've got absolutely. So your watchers, your um, your viewers, um, I highly recommend that you do a Google search for a paper. And I'm going to give you the title of the paper. It's called Fat Fiber and cancer risk in African-Americans and rural Africans. Okay, so that's a paper that was published in 2015. Really interesting paper. We know that colorectal cancer rates are more than 10 times lower in people living in rural Africa, living a traditional, unprocessed, plant-forward lifestyle than colorectal cancer rates in African-Americans living in the United States. So in 2015, a group of researchers took some African-American volunteers living in Pittsburgh, I believe, and they took some um, volunteers living in the KwaZulu-Natal region of South Africa, in rural Africa, and they did a diet swap, Chuck. So after two weeks of eating okra and tomatoes with maize meal and lentils and bananas and African potato salad, the uh, American volunteers had increased their dietary fiber from 14 grams to 55 grams per day and had reduced their fat intake by more than 50%. And within two weeks, the Americans' uh, colorectal cancer risk profile plummeted to match that of the rural Africans. Similarly, two weeks of eating a US style menu of corned beef, hash, potatoes, hot dogs, spaghetti and meatballs, roast beef with mashed potato and gravies. After just two weeks, the rural Africans' colorectal cancer profile in terms of their gut microbiome, their short chain fatty acids, their mucosal proliferation rates, et cetera, had skyrocketed to match those of the Americans. So just two weeks, a very significant difference. And another really interesting take home from that. So these are two populations about the same age, living two different diets and lifestyles. As they went into that study, half of the US volunteers already had precancerous polyps in their bowel. As they went into that study, none of the rural African volunteers had precancerous bowel polyps. So there's, there's, there's a big lesson there. Wow, that that's insane. And how long did, was the study conducted for again? It's two weeks, just two weeks, just two weeks. And they were able to glean all of that information. That is amazing to me. Uh, final question. Dr. Desmond comes to us from Mo. Mo wants to know, are there any screening tests that you feel are comparable to a colonoscopy, especially ones that may not be as invasive? 
Sure. So in the US, if you're going for a screening colonoscopy, you will by and large always have a colonoscopy often under general anesthetic. Here in the UK, our screening program is a little bit different and we use a poop test called a FIT test. So that's an immune-based test to look for evidence of loss of blood in your poop. And if your test comes back positive or equivocal, it's only then that we will offer you a colonoscopy. However, it's important to say, Chuck, that we only use that test in someone who does not have a family history and in someone who has absolutely no symptoms. So if you have a family history or if you have any sort of symptoms at all, you need to go straight for that colonoscopy. In the US, you'll probably end up going for a colonoscopy anyway. But here in the UK, if you have no symptoms and we're in a screening situation, we may do a fecal sample to check for blood loss. The other thing that we sometimes do is called a CT cologram or virtual colonoscopy. So that's a special CT scan where the radiologist puts a little tube in your bottom. They blow you up a little bit like a balloon and they get some really detailed CT scans. And then they can basically do a virtual fly through of a kind of a 3D model of your colon. And if they see anything that looks like a polyp or a cancer, you would then go on and have a colonoscopy. All right, real quick, in 30 seconds or less, this one just came in. I want to make sure that it gets asked as well. Uh, is there any uh, anything to the idea that cooked foods versus raw foods could increase your risk of developing colorectal cancer? If we're talking about cooked meat, that increases your risk substantially. <laughs> no one's eating raw meat, okay? But well, I, actually, there are some people eating raw meat out there. Yeah, there are some extremists out there who are eating raw meat. But yeah, so cooked meat increases your risk. Um, so there, there is this this issue of advanced glycation end products, these little crusty black bits that you see on the edge of any cooked food. And yes, they may increase one's risk of developing a cancer. My friend, I think you would benefit by trying to find a little bit of time during your day to join us for the exam room live that airs Monday through Friday at noon Eastern over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channels. That is your best opportunity to go ahead and make sure that your question then gets featured on the doctor's mailbag segment. Make sure that what's on your mind gets answered by our experts like Dr. Barnard and like Dr. Desmond. Join us Monday through Friday, noon Eastern on Facebook and on YouTube for The Exam Room Live. Let's revisit really quickly what it was that Dr. Desmond was talking about. One of the things that colorectal cancer rates were 10 times less 10 times less for those living in rural Africa compared to those living here in the States eating a westernized or standard American diet. And it is amazing how quickly a person's risk can drop in just two weeks. How a person's cancer profile can improve in just 14 days. Truly remarkable. Now here's one of the big takeaways from the show. As Dr. Desmond said, a lower risk by changing your diet, a lower risk still is not no risk. And while Chadwick Boseman reportedly ate a largely plant-based diet, 
he still succumbed to colon cancer at a young age. And that is why Dr. Desmond and so many others are such big proponents of screenings. But still, if you can reduce your risk of colorectal cancer 10 times over by eating a whole food diet, a diet that's rich in vegetables and fruits, if you can do that instead of rolling the dice and eating a lot of fat and red and processed meat, man, I will take that plant-based diet all day, every day. No question. If you're on Instagram and you want to give Dr. Desmond a follow, you can do that. He's at dr.allendesmond. He's also online at devingutclinic.com. Now, before we go today, I want to mention something that's happening here in the States as well. Two of the nation's largest slaughterhouses are facing fines for failing to protect their workers from the coronavirus. One of them is a JBS plant located in Greeley, Colorado. Now, according to the Department of Labor, which handed down the fine, six people there died and another 290 became infected as a direct result of inadequate safety measures. The other plant was a massive Smithfield Foods pork processing plant in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, it was there that four people died and nearly 1,300 others were infected. Yeah, 1,300 employees in one single outbreak. But here's the thing. The fines of less than $16,000, which is, by the way, the maximum allowed by law, amount to little more than a slap on the wrist for companies who generate tens of billions of dollars in revenue every single year. And still, and still, both companies are contesting these fines. They are contesting these citations, saying that they are without merit and they've already taken steps to address worker safety. Now, as of the second week of September, more than 200 meatpacking workers have died from COVID-19, while 42,000 others have been infected here in the U.S. But on a happier note, a new survey finds that 92% of shoppers who tried a plant-based meat for the first time during the pandemic say they plan to keep on buying them well into the future. That's promising. If you haven't already done so, go ahead, please, and hop over to Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you get your favorite podcast from and subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating because every new subscription and five-star rating helps this information get in front of someone who needs it the most. Because at the core of the show are two things. One is that information 
but two, the desire to make the world a healthier place and to help those who want to lead a healthier life. And just by subscribing to the show and leaving that five-star rating, you are doing your part to help us accomplish our goals. I want to say thank you again to Drs. Neil Barnard and Alan Desmond for joining me on the show today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based.